What's going on, everybody? We're back. It's a Sooners Illustrated podcast, episode 35 on this Monday, November 13th, 2023. Josh Calloway, James D. Jackson, Tom Green. Gentlemen, Oklahoma got a very needed win on Saturday, a big-time bounce-back performance. We're going to talk about it. How are you guys doing on this Monday, the penultimate week of the regular season, if you could believe it. We're on the home stretch now. <laughs> the what? Yeah, penultimate. Man, man this it, guy it's... here, man. <laughs> doing, doing too much. But the, you, you read the dictionary before you got up here, man. What's going on? <laughs> anytime, anytime I have the chance to put the word penultimate in, I do it. All right, man. All right. Use that word Josh, all the time, man. Josh is doing fine, sounds like. He's doing just great. <laughs> <laughs> We're all here, so I'm excited. That's 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 for me. Yeah, I'm good. Just trying to catch up on sleep after uh, late game late night. Saturday night. <clears throat> Always a long night after those, but uh, we're doing good. We're doing good. Almost at the home stretch here. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, obviously, only a couple regular season games left. Thanksgiving next week. Um, we're we're on the back end of this thing now, and Oklahoma's still a lot to play for. Like I said, off the top, a massive bounce back win for the Sooners on Saturday. They roll West Virginia fifty nine to twenty. We all thought, the three of us and Colin Kitty, that Oklahoma was going to win this game. We all picked OU to win on uh, Thursday's show. Mm-hmm. Nobody thought it was going to be that big. Only Tom had him covering the number of 13. Um, but even that was, you know, I think by 14, right, Tom? I mean, it was – nobody expected that. West Virginia's playing pretty good football. They're playing loose, had six wins coming in. And Oklahoma goes and drops 59 on their head, wins it by 39 points. A massive and so needed – bounce back win for Oklahoma and in some ways guys it kind of makes almost the last couple weeks even that much more frustrating because you see what it looks like when it's all working and what the offense is humming and they're running the ball and they're not turning it over and on on the flip side they're forcing turnovers on defense having their goal line stand in this game this was Oklahoma at their best and at their best they're really dang good which I think is almost exactly what Brent Venable said post game and when it's all working it's pretty good this is the first time we saw that Texas team since the Texas game uh, on Saturday night, Oklahoma looked really, really good, and uh, they needed that in, in a major way. I think, yeah, even, I think the offense in particular yeah. needed that mm-hmm. kind of game. It was yeah. almost catharsis for them. Another, another uh, fifty cent word there for James. Uh, yeah, we're using go. our big words. I've heard today. that one. Um, I've heard that one. No, I've yeah. heard that one. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it felt cathartic for them offensively, in a sense. Just you know, the way everything was. Kind of run, uh, kind of running. I know Jeff Lebby's obviously been under a lot of criticism the last two weeks, three weeks, even going back to the UCF game, um, for just his play calling and how this offense looked at times, especially in key situations. But man, they came out on Saturday and just stepped on the gas and didn't let their foot off. They scored on nine of their first eleven drives. You know, mm-hmm. the, the only drive in the first half that they didn't score was. I mean, they got behind the chains. They had a pre-snap penalty. Um, it was their only one of the game. But they were just rolling, and Dylan Gabriel was just orchestrating a, an efficient, deadly offense, explosive. And, man, Jeff Levy was in his bag in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope I'm not in the minority here. I know Josh has said, like, we haven't seen this, same, this team since Texas, like that type of performance. But it's like, I feel like that was even better than what they put against Texas because they had a couple turnovers here and there. And, didn't run the ball as well as they did in this game. Because, I mean, Dylan Gabriel had a good day against sure. Texas running the ball. Right. But having your running backs being in there and having them be able to also help that situation, that was pretty good. That was pretty good overall. And, and Dylan Gabriel adds the three rushing touchdowns on top of that. So, 
I mean, I like I like the way they played throughout the entire game. As Brent Venable said, it was probably the the best game they played throughout all four quarters on both sides of the ball. You know, just just this season. I mean, that, that looked pretty good from them. And this is what I was expecting. I said they would get better as the season got on. I hadn't hadn't really felt good about that prediction until just just this last week. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and like you guys have, you know, kind of said, the, the big the big winner of the day is Jeff Levy. You know, because the last two Mondays we've come on this show and after the last two losses and said, man, it, it's it's rough for the Lebster uh, right now. He was public enemy number one uh, in Oklahoma. And it's not like one game and all of a sudden, oh, he's back in everybody's good graces. But, boy, he needed this. Um, if you're going to be critical of it, and believe me, we have been. I've been as critical as, as anyone. You have to give credit where it's due. It was all working in this game. And that's even with Dylan Gabriel not being particularly sharp early in this game. A lot of throws behind guys and just kind of missing open guys early. He got it going by about the middle second quarter. He started to button it up. But it was all, I mean, it, it, this was Jeff Levy's day. And uh, he needed it in a bad, bad way. Oklahoma couldn't be stopped offensively. I mean, there was nothing West Virginia could do. They had no answers at the beginning of this game. Jeff Levy needed a bounce back game. And that, frankly, to me, was really remove the Arkansas State game. Does that even count? But remove the Arkansas State game. That's really as good as Oklahoma has looked offensively probably since Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma. I mean, it was all working. Run the ball, throwing around to multiple guys. Drake Stoops went crazy. They got the tight ends involved. Hello, how about that? I've been talking about that all year. Austin Stardner was alive in this game, caught a touchdown even. It was all working. Um, nothing to complain about offensively, and boy, Jeff Levy really needed that. Yeah, yeah I think one of the things that really stands out to me looking back at this game, obviously we'll, we'll get into Dylan Gabriel's big game, I'm sure, mm -hmm. and just kind of his record-breaking performance on that front. But you look at it, I think they only ran one like one side-to-side -side running play, and in the passing game they only had two two attempts behind the line of scrimmage. There was a mm -hmm. lot more downfield passing. You know, Dylan Gabriel was 5 of 7 for 167 yards and a touchdown on passes thrown, you know, 20-plus yards downfield. He was 10 of 16 for 187 yards and four touchdowns on balls between 10 and 20 yards beyond the line of scrimmage. Like, they were doing a better job at stretching the field, trying to go vertical as opposed to side-to-side. -side. Like, we've seen them kind of, you know, do so often but struggle to do at times. Um, so I think that was one of the biggest things that kind of just – caught my eye in terms of what Jeff Levy was doing from a, you know, game plan and uh, play calling situ uh, spot. I mean, it was, it was humming. I mean, you give Jeff Levy his props there and, and the way that the Sooners actually executed, ex executed the plays and, and things like that, because they've had their mishaps, false starts, you know, having these, these bad situational penalties that's hurt them a lot and they actually executed it well. And now you have, you have three guys that have career nights. I mean, Gavin Sawchuk ran for the most yards. He's ever ran for Drake Stoops. We talked about him. He hit back to back career, back back to back career nights. And then you, and then you got Dylan Gabriel, who somehow has the most touchdowns that a quarterback has ever had at Oklahoma in a single game, which is still mind boggling. With all the talent mm -hmm. that's coming through Oklahoma, he, he he's done it. So I mean, just a, a crazy crazy performance from the OU offense, as we've been we talking about a lot. And even Austin Stogger getting in there, Josh. I know that's that's your guy, uh, man. He's he, <laughs> you you asked for it on the last pot. You asked for it. There it is. All year, all year. It was amazing <laughs> to see, and that that's the main thing too. That I I just you look at the stats and it's just like yum 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 yum. Like this is exactly what we've wanted from a distribution <laughs> standpoint. The running <laughs> game. Gavin Clark took twenty two carries. Dylan Gabriel had eleven, obviously, in the QB run game. He scrambles and things like that. They he utilized that great. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But after that, they didn't – they let Gavin 
eat. Like they they rode one guy. They let one guy get into a rhythm and he got going and they just kept feeding him. And it worked all game long. Six yards to carry for him. And then the receiving distribution, obviously, Stoops had a massive game, 13 targets, and he earned those 13 targets. He caught 10 of them, had a buck, 64, and three tutties. But then after that, Anderson, six targets. Stogner, six targets. Farouk, five targets. And Gibson got a couple targets and caught a touchdown. Like, it was evenly distributed around. But, you know, one guy got more, and he earned more because Stoops was playing so well. Like, it was just working. The rhythm was there. It felt like everything was setting up the next play, which you haven't always felt that way. Mm-hmm. It just – it had a flow to it. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of times we've come here on Mondays and it just felt like I, I didn't understand the thought process or the rationale behind things. And we've, we've talked about that, you know, certain play calls or why are you using this guy like this? I didn't have any of that. I felt like everything was done and every player was used the way you would think they would be used to get the most out of them. In, in well, Farouk was in the backfield again. He had a couple of good runs from this spot. This yeah, backfield. yeah. He did. He had a couple of carries, two the carries, execution was, 29 was, yards. The execution was well, though, so it, you didn't even notice that he was back there until he got up and it was him. I mean, I was. we can't see the numbers from the press box anyway with the with the unity uniforms, but, you know, we you saw what he was doing. He looked he looked really good running. He would look quick, you know, things like that. And it was like, OK, I see why maybe they, they thought to put him back there. He looked, you know, pretty good there. I think what we get to see now is now that Gavin Solchuk is fully healthy and he looks like the main number one guy. I think we can get Tommy Walker back in there in the red zone and have a power back system. So you have your speed guy for the open field and then the power back comes mm-hmm. in and, and can be that aggressive runner uh, in, in between the tackles in the red zone. I think they they have that, you know, they have that uh, ability to do that now. So. Yeah, I, I am curious, like, just how much Tawi's like ankle might be bothering him a little bit because he only got one carry in this game. I, yeah. I know, like. Some of that is like, hey, like Gavin Sawchuk got in rhythm and they decided to feed him and make him the the workhorse in this one. But I I, I do wonder if you know that ankle's still bothering Tawi a little bit. I know, um, you know, Brent said at the start of last week that you know he he'd be back at practice too. Um, but yeah, man, it, it was good to see. Like this is what everybody saw from Gavin Sawchuk in the Cheez-It Bowl. Like this yep. is that kind of talent that he is, and you know. Watching him like in 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 person, you don't necessarily. It doesn't look like he has breakaway speed per se, but he he has a good patience in running the ball. Like I don't remember mm. exactly when it was, but it was in the first half. He had a run where he got like five yards downfield, and there's just like a muck of people behind him, and he was just kind of patient, bounced it out from behind the offensive line, and broke it down for another like twenty yards down the right side. I lost him like, on the field. Yeah. I, I completely I lost him. All of a sudden, he just bounced outside. I was like, oh. There he goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah, yeah right. his patience is kind of Le'Veon Bell-ish. If you remember that from, you know, five, six years ago or so. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it was good to see them. Like, they've gotten the running game going, you know, really since that Texas mm-hmm. game for the most part. Like, like they've done better at establishing the run. Um, but this was, like, the first time we really saw them stick with, like, one guy and, like, let him do his thing. Um, and, again, you know, we, we mentioned Dylan Gabriel – 11 carries, really nine because two of those were sacks, but, you know, nine carries for 50-something yards and three touchdowns. Like, when they're when they're able to get him involved in the run game, it just opens up lanes and makes this offense more complete. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of, like, design quarterback runs, especially inside the five-yard line. Yeah. You, you can kind of tell when it's coming. The, the back kind of comes forward before Gabriel, and then they, they snap it from there. And, you know what it is, but it's like Dylan Gabriel, he does so well at it. And uh, he talked about physicality in football. He's 
for some reason, he wants to run over people. I'm not sure what's going on with that. He's, he like he loves doing that as a quarterback. You know, some, you, you went a little bit here and there, but he seems to get it done every single time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's got 11 uh, concussions this season, which yeah. is the second most among all quarterbacks in college football. Only Jalen Milrow over at Alabama has more. And that's because he had a, he had a, what, four-touchdown game on Saturday. Um, so, I mean, he, he's got as many rushing touchdowns as Caleb Williams. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, as long as like 10 yards, like they, they all love yeah. them, they love them inside the in, in the goal line because that's been their most effective goal line offense. I mean, that yeah. was the one, the one thing if you wanted to nitpick at all, which I'm not really going to do, but it was a little shaky ish inside the five itself for a field goal once, took them a few tries each time, but without question, the most effective, you know, offense down there was to just run Gabriel on a little QB draw type play and let him punch it in himself. Dylan Gabriel, obviously phenomenal, like James mentioned. Eight touchdowns in this game. OU record. That's insane. Okay, that's insane. A lot of really good players have played Oklahoma. Heisman winners, uh, obviously, just in the last you know decade. Uh, two guys that went number one overall. Another guy who's tearing up the NFL right now, Jalen Hurts. Um, no, None of them ever got eight touchdowns in a game. He threw for five. He ran for another three. I mean, like I said, he wasn't even really particularly sharp early in this game. Lots of throws that were off target. But he persevered through it. He figured it out. By the middle to late second quarter, he had it going. The bomb to Gibson was beautiful. The Stoops touchdown. Right. He broke like four tackles. The first one was mm-hmm. a great throw as well. He's playing really well. I mean, what can you say? He's doing everything he can. Monster game for him. And uh, that run game was an element that we didn't see in Bedlam really at all. The QB run game with him, they got that back going. Eight tutties is just crazy. And I don't think he can get back in the Heisman mix. But it's kind of wide open. So maybe, uh, I mean, you score eight touchdowns in a game, that's going to get the attention. What what a showing uh, from from him. Eight for number eight. This this yeah, might be I, the I, year I think... that oh, – this might be the year that, you know, a wide receiver gets the highest. I, mean, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. from Ohio State, I think because they're the number one ranked team and they're they're, they're rolling right now, that he's going to start getting a lot more love as we you know, head Marvin down the street. Yeah, so go ahead, Tom. Yeah, no, I mean, I think Marvin Harrison is probably the – best player in college football but I, like i have a hard time giving it like giving him the heisman just because like his numbers aren't like out of this world and like i feel like you usually need that for for like a position player to win and not a quarterback mm-hmm. of late um mm-hmm. or running back even just because you know wide receivers are so quarterback dependent but i do think like marvin harrison jr is probably you know top two talent in the country like up there with caleb williams um but I think the biggest hurdle for Dylan to get back in that race, per se, is Jaden Daniels over at LSU. Because um, if you are going to have someone that's, you know, on a multi-loss team that's not in contention for the playoff, like that's probably the guy. Like, did you guys see what he did against Florida this weekend? Yeah, like, three hundred, yeah. three hundred seventy yeah. passing yeah. yards. Yeah, two hundred set or two hundred forty rushing yards is just absurd numbers. But that's to take nothing away from Dylan Gabriel because he's he's been lights out this season. Um, it was good to see him have a game that he like this, um, especially after the offense kind of struggled the last two weeks. Um, like you said, misfired on some throws early that he probably wouldn't want back, but it didn't slow the offense down. I mean, they were still rolling. And then, you know, the biggest critique of him from the last two years has been his downfield passing. Like I, like, I, like I mentioned earlier, on deep throws, he was five of seven on those. Like, he was on the money in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that one, Jaden Gibson, just perfect hit him in stride in the end zone. I mean, this was 
just an, a surreal performance for Dylan Gabriel, who not only broke that Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray record for touchdowns in a game, surpassed his childhood idol on the NCAA's all-time passing list. Now he's top 10 all-time in passing, uh, number two among active pastors. Um, only Drake May is ahead of him, or Sam Hartman, rather, is ahead of him, I believe. Um, but, yeah, I mean, did what he's been doing his whole career, just putting up numbers, and, like, this was – the optimal version of Oklahoma's offense that we saw on Saturday. We got to go out to practice before the season and that pass to, to Jaden Gibson in the end zone. is like exactly what we saw them working on in practice beforehand. I have a couple of, I think Josh has a couple of videos. He, he uploaded them throwing that pass into the end zone, just like into the back of the end zone. And it's it just like, you saw it come like to, to realization right there. Like it just, mm -hmm. it finally got a chance to really do it. And it was perfect execution. It was perfect there. Now, I think when we're talking about the college, you know, the Heisman and things like that, the the, the fun part about this year is it seems like every time we come on here, we we name a different guy. Like, it's like each, each week is like, oh, this guy. wide you know, open. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, that's the fun part about it this year. There's no like, okay, he's going to win it and we're just, there's nothing to talk about. That's the fun part. And so that leaves you room for Dylan Gabriel to, you know, get back in there. It was Tom had talked about it. I mean, having the performance that he had just this week, if he can continue that, a, a, a team that's 10 and 2, you can win a Heisman with that record. You can definitely do it. I mean, we saw Caleb Williams do it last year, right? It was, they were 10 and 2, correct? And so, you know, just having situations like that 11 and 1. 11 and 1. Yeah. Well, yeah. They okay, lost the Pac 12 championship game, so they're 11 and 2. Okay. Okay. There you go. There you go. But, you, you know, you two losses on a, on a season, you can win it. You can still. Uh, if win. Oklahoma wins out and he continues to play well, and they, even though it's out of his control, which is a little silly, but it just helps, is if, if they, they can get to the Big 12 championship game and win it. Um, yeah. And they win the Big 12, and they, you know, they're back in the top 10. And he's throwing his numbers continue. I mean, obviously, you're not going to get eight touchdowns again, probably. You never know, I guess. But I mean, if, if I mean, he continues that week, yeah, that's very true. Iowa State hung up near a damn near 50 piece on him, which is not an indication, a great indication for what's coming. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's possible he could wiggle his way in there. I mean, it's going to be really hard to win it. But as far as a New York invite, I think that's totally back in play um, mm -hmm. for sure for 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 DG. Really impressive. Um, yeah. Oops. Real quick, I just want to point right. out uh, one, of my, one of my buddies back on the Auburn beat pointing this out. Uh, it was either yesterday or like late Saturday night after all the games went. But, you know, speaking of the Heisman race, just like looking at some of the quarterbacks that were in that 2019 class that are like fifth year guys right now, like obviously Dylan Gabriel doing his thing. Jane Daniels, we mentioned. Bo Nix is probably another one of those mm -hmm. guys that's in that Heisman conversation. Um, just a fun group of quarterbacks that have kind of just like stuck around for a while um, and been really found their footing later in their career. Um, yeah, just just fun fun to watch those guys. All on their second team. Yeah, modern modern culture ball. Almost all the top top Heisman guys transferred. In fact, like almost like literally all of them. When you loop in uh, Michael Penix as well, it's just a yeah. modern culture ball. Like, like the only one that didn't was what JJ McCarthy over at Michigan. Yeah, early, yeah. Yeah, and like you, you wonder like how, yeah, you you wonder like how his campaign is going to factor in. Like, are people going to like penalize him for everything else that's going on with Michigan? Or I don't know. It's well, it's, it's like weird. Too, but, Michigan, I mean, they won on Saturday, but he he threw like eight passes. Like yeah. they didn't they didn't need to throw the ball. They just ran the ball. I think they didn't throw a ball. They didn't throw a pass in the second half. I think uh, in Michigan. Yeah, they ran like twenty something consecutive run plays, and the yeah, one time insane. they did throw a pass, it was like a callback for pass interference, or didn't count because pass interference. So it's like they yeah. still kept coming with the run game. But yeah, yeah, no, it's wide open, and he has a chance to wiggle his way in there. 
Um, Drake Stoops. Good. What else can you say? Marvin um, Mims wants him for Heisman, so there, there you go. Marvin Mims tweeted it out during the game last week. I mean, no joke. I mean, it's only been it, it, just the last two weeks. If, if the Blitnikoff was given out for just weeks 10 and 11 for some reason, <laughs> for some weird alternate reality, Drake seems to win it. He is out of his mind uh, right now. 10 catches on 13 targets, 164, three tutties at 59 yards uh, after contact. The touchdown, the first one especially, was was awesome. Got a flag for the spike um, afterward. He is playing unbelievable. And it's crazy in hindsight that, you know, at one point in time, you know, it was looked at as, oh, that, that's cool. Bob's son's on the team as a walk-on. That, that's kind of neat. Uh, if he ever gets in and makes a play, that would be really cool. That would be a cool story. And he's earned his scholarship, and he's the best – Offensive player, not named Dylan Gabriel on the team right now. Certainly, right now at least, mm-hmm. teams have no answer for him. It's it's kind of amazing uh, how well he's playing back to back. Just monster games for him, and for him to go put up a monster game in Bedlam and they lose. And he sits there on Monday and he has that speech that went viral. You know, of there I have a lot to play for. I care about this place a lot. Blah blah blah. And then he went out and just balled the hell out again uh, on Saturday. Just West Virginia had no answer for him. I mean, what what can you say? Um, it, it's crazy that we're at this point, and nobody would have thought this two, three years ago. But Oklahoma, but for Oklahoma going into twenty twenty four, Drake Stoops may be like the toughest guy to replace on the whole team of guys that they're going to lose after this season. Just from what he provides, production, leadership, he's everything you could want. Um, well, I mean, all the praise in the world headed his way, and he, he's earned it at this point. Yeah, I mean, if, if we're going to talk about individual awards here, real quick, I mean. Feels like he's locked up the Burlesworth, which goes to the best player yeah. who started yeah. his career as a walk on. Like, <laughs> he, he pretty much locked that up the last two weeks. I mean, his 22 receptions over the last two weeks are the most in the country. Um, just absurd. He, he's got an 80.5% catch rate on the season, which is like top three among like high volume wide receivers, guys that are targeted a lot. Um, leads the Big 12 in, t- in touchdowns tied with Adonai Mitchell over at Texas. You know, 692 yards is top five in the conference. His 62 catches are first in the conference. I mean, this is what Oklahoma needed him to become after they lost Andro Anthony. You know, it's not a it's not a one for one comparison because you know they play different positions and obviously Andro just has like top end speed that can take a top the top off a of defense. But they needed someone to step up, and Drake Stoops has delivered these last two weeks in particular. Yeah, I mean, you talk about him coming on as just a, like the coach's kid, where everybody thought it's like. He's going to leave this place with a bunch of accolades that he, that he put together on the field. I mean, and, and in the classroom. I mean, just what he's done. He's, he's had a couple academic awards. He's, got, uh, he's going to have a couple awards from this season. He's, he's, he's helped win the, win the Big 12 title game, title game a couple of times. So it's just he's going, to do, he's going to have a really good resume going into the draft, which is what he wants to do is, you know, have an NFL career before he comes back and tries to coach, things like that. Yeah, I mean, Neil Brown after the game had a lot of praise for him, um, said mm-hmm. that he's a guy that he thinks is going to play on Sundays, um, mm-hmm. just a really good receiver. Um, and obviously, you know, he was the only guy that Neil Brown had a lot of praise for. He kind of went to bat for Jeff Levy, too, and just his ability as a play caller. But to hear an opposing coach, you know, compliment Drake Stoops like that when, like you said, when he got there six years ago, he was kind of an afterthought, just like a, oh, hey, cool, Bob's son's here. But now yeah. he's making a name for himself. <laughs> And, you know, that's not that's not easy to do, like when your dad casts, you know, such a large shadow over the over your name, you know. 
I yeah, he, a shadow. It was a, I don't know sunshine. I don't know what how do you, it's not a shadow, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it it it's crazy because it really it doesn't. I don't really think of Drake as as Bob's son anymore. Like he's he's just been so good and really for so long that um, he's he's done his own thing. Which like to Tom's point, it's it, hard to do. Hard to do. The Stoops name is so revered in Oklahoma that to make it your own in kind of a way is. Especially, he's a fun, fun story. Great guy to talk to during the week, you know, uh, leading up to games and after games. He's one of the best, you know, media savvy guys, as you probably would guess. And uh, yeah, he's he's awesome. And Oklahoma's going to have a hard time filling that void uh, next year, quite frankly. Anything yeah. else? Did you guys notice that? I was going to say, did you guys notice that when after the game, when Drake came in, uh, kind of before BV, because he had to, he only had a few minutes now to get going, but while, he, while there's just a scrum of us sitting around Drake. Bob and a couple other people walked in and yeah, were just in kind of back. standing in the back yeah. auditorium, kind of watching. Um, that, kind of neat to see, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, for sure. The Sooners Illustrated Podcast will be back after this short break. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Um, like we said, Austin Stogner got involved, which is crazy. And, you know, Tom, you were joking about it with me after the game, and obviously Venables. He didn't say the tight end specifically in his press conference last week, but he said we have one position that's not doing anything, basically. We talked about it on Thursday's show. That felt like the tight ends to me because um, that position was giving them nothing all year. And then, of course, here comes Stardner with uh, four catches for 69 yards and a tutty. Far and away, his his biggest game of the year um, by leaps and bounds, his biggest game of the year. Um, also in this game – what was I going to say? I lost. Well, my I was going to point Gardner out. Was great. I had while you, yeah, right while now. you get that situated, I was going to point out before this game, we, we learned that Tyler Guyton wasn't going to be in there, which is you know the right oh, tackle okay. position. That's a big position for a left-handed quarterback. That's basically your, your your left tackle, like the blindside guy. And so there was some like, oh, what in the world? What's going to happen now? Because he's your best offensive tackle uh, this season. I mean, he he was he was that good, and we didn't know he wasn't going to be out there. So you know, Oklahoma native Jacob, Jacob Sexton came in out of Deer Creek and. Uh, it had a pretty good game. I mean, it wasn't a lot of sacks that was given up. I think only one for OU in that game. So a pretty good game from OU in their offensive line as well. When you talk about everything that the offense did, you want to give that offensive line their props as well and what they what they did out there, especially Jacob Sexton coming in and, and playing that right tackle position because that's not typically where he plays. Is that right, Tom? I think he plays on the left side of the, of the ball. Yeah, he, he usually plays on the left side. Um, yeah, but... so – yeah, he, he he's he's practiced on the right side, obviously, um, and mm -hmm. they feel comfortable enough with Walter Rouse to keep him at, at left tackle because that's the spot that he's he's got a lot more experience at. Um, but yeah, for for Jacob Sexton to come in and kind of step up in that spot, you know, he gave up a pretty egregious sack early on in that game, but settled in after that, mm -hmm. and you know, the offense mm -hmm. line performed pretty well overall. Yeah, not bad. I mean, only a couple sacks given up. Obviously, like we said, they ran the ball very well. Um, so mm -hmm. offensive line, pretty good day, despite yeah missing. Uh, one of your best guys there in Guyton. Um, and then obviously later in the game, it came entire got ejected. That was when the game was already over. We'll talk about that more in a second. But what I was going to say was uh, Andrew Rain, no snap, no snap miscues. Uh, good, good for him, obviously. You know, like I said on the podcast on Thursday, 
I, you know, who knows whose fault. I mean, the, the one that just rolled in in Stillwater in the fourth quarter, clearly that's just a bad snap. But the one before Javante Barnes, I don't That's a mystery that may never be solved. Mm-hmm. But either way, you can't keep turning over on the snaps. And the snap has been kind of an issue all year, really. They kind of gotten away with it. It was much better in this game. Now, there's a couple that were a little a little errant, I guess you want to call it that, but nothing that caused a turnover. Gabriel's able to field them all. So shout out that. And that's a small thing, but button that up, which was nice to see. And, yeah, overall, that offensive line, pretty good day, despite, you know, missing one of their guys and uh, having to kind of battle through it a little bit. So is there anything else offensively that you guys had? I think we covered most of it. Defensively. Yeah, I, 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 Nick, I, Nick I, Anderson I, had a big day as well. I mean, Nick Anderson, you yeah. know, kind of – after that Oklahoma State game where he kind of fell off a little bit, he kind of came back and and resettled in and had a pretty good game. You know, he had a couple of times where he almost got into the end zone. He, he talked about the long catch he had where he just got caught at the end. He was, he was right kind of laughing about right. that when I asked him about it. He was like, yeah, I mean, just got to got to pick the knees up more on that. Got to get in the end zone on that one. Yeah, for sure. And um, and then that, that was the drive that resulted in the field goal instead of the touchdown, right? I think. I think so. I think so, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I mean, you know, the only other thing offensively I wanted to kind of touch on is just the kind of Jackson Arnold situation that. Uh, oh yeah, good point. Um, sure. You know, final five minutes, game's well in hand. You know, starters come out. Uh, they go with Davis Bevel to you know basically just run out the clock in the final two minutes, mm-hmm. which is you know seems like a minor thing, but it's kind of significant because Jackson Arnold has appeared in four games already this season. Um, if he had played in this one, he would have burned his red shirt. Brent Venables asked about it afterwards. Said you know. At this point in the season, they would like to preserve that redshirt for Jackson Arnold, um, and I'm sure that's something that you know they've had conversations with Jackson and his family about to kind of talk about that plan. And obviously, things can change if Dylan Gabriel goes down for whatever reason, and they need Jackson Arnold, they will burn that redshirt. But they did not want to like needlessly burn it just to have him hand the ball off or kneel it out uh, for mm-hmm. two inconsequential drives at the end of the game. So, um, yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I've seen some people kind of, yeah, frustrated by it. And it, to your point, it's important to note if Gabriel gets hurt in the first quarter in Provo next weekend, Jackson Arnold's going to come in. It, they're mm-hmm. going to burn that record if they need it. They just—he's at four games. They got a few games left. They're not going to just throw it away in this game when they're up by 40 points. You just just for the sake of it, they're going to keep it if they can. They don't really need to. I mean, Jackson Arnold. Does anybody think he's going to be at Oklahoma for five years? I mean, he certainly shouldn't if it goes according to the plan, right? Yeah, um, but, but everything well, doesn't always go according to plan. Like sure, injuries sure. happen. Um, you know, guys might take a little bit longer to develop than they should. Like we've seen five-star talents stick around for five years. Like Bo Nix was a five-star quarterback coming out of high school, and he's in his fifth year in his second team. Like things happen. Like the way college football is now, like things can change. So like it. it You'd be doing Jackson Arnold a disservice if you were needlessly burned his red shirt. Yeah, and, that, that, and that's the point. Needlessly, you if guys are saying a lot of. They will you, use guys, him. you guys are saying a lot of things. You need to knock on some wood. I mean, it, a lot of things you're saying right now. Oklahoma fans don't want to hear that. <laughs> Jack, but, they, Gabriel going down in the first quarter. Come I said on, if. I didn't say you know. I didn't say he's not going to. I said if um, they will put Arnold in if they need to. That that's the mm-hmm. important yeah. thing. And so fans have kind of thought like, oh my gosh, like Davis Bevel's the backup. He's not. Arnold's still the backup, really, um, if that makes yeah. sense. So we'll see. Yeah. If they need a quarterback, Jackson Arnold will play. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Defensively, pretty good. Um, pretty good. Uh, first drive of the game was not. Um, West Virginia went right down the field and scored. And it was kind of like, oh, that was a gross way to start this game. But they settled in after that. Um, 
Danny Sutzman came back, led the team in tackles. Shocker. Um, they got a couple turnovers in this game. Richie Pearson, Jacoby Johnson right at the end of the game. It was cool to see another goal line stand. Um, they're pretty good at that. Um, they're, they're tough to score on inside the five, clearly. Um, defensively, I thought there was a lot to like. I mean, was it perfect? No, they gave a few big plays, and um, they missed Gentry Williams. You know, Connor Walker had a bit of a rough go of it for a little while. But overall, I mean, you give up 20 points, you force some turnovers, you, you're giving your, your your team a chance to win. And obviously, when you pair that with what the offense did, you're, you're going to win 100 times out of 100. Yeah, I mean, they yeah, basically just had like three drives that they weren't yeah. great, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the rest yeah. of the night they were like lights out. Um, yeah, you mentioned that opening drive, eight plays, 75 yards, and a touchdown. On West Virginia's next three drives, they totaled zero yards over nine plays. Or yeah, that's how you respond. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and one of those is on a short field after you know Gavin Freeman muffs a punt yeah. and turns it over. Sneaky like, big part of the so, game, big part of the game, right there. After the muff, yeah. it was fourteen seven. And they stuff them for nothing. Sneaky big part of the game right there. Yeah. Three and out, three and out, three stops and a missed field goal. You get a fourth down stop, uh, another three and out, a goal line stand. And then you you give up a touchdown at the end of half. You give a a touchdown on their first drive of the second half. But then you go interception, punt, three and out, punt, interception, end the game. Um, And that that Reggie Pearson interception, sneaky big too. Because, you know, even though Oklahoma still had a three-score lead at that point, West Virginia had scored on two consecutive drives on either side of the half there. So it kind of took away a little bit, a little bit of that momentum that West Virginia was building and kind of like the hope that they might be able to get back in the game. Um, but, the, you know, Reggie Pearson, just great job on the tip drill after Billy Bowman broke that pass up. But, yeah, solid defensive performance except for just a couple drives there. Yeah, and, and as I mentioned Really, right after the game, when Josh and I went on, it was they played complimentary football. After that, you get the defense got those stops, and then they went down and scored on the offensive side. You know, it, it was all clicking for OU in this one. They mm-hmm. just complimentary was, and, and as we're as we're podcasting right now, uh, Big Twelve just announced that Dylan Gabriel was the offensive player of the week. I know we probably assumed that was going to happen, but yeah, you know that's that's official now. Yeah. So, <laughs> so just I mean, everything was clicking for them, and that just shows you once again uh, of what they did last week. Yeah, we saw them play Kip Lewis and Danny Stutzman together, which we uh, mm-hmm. speculated on last week because if Stutzman comes back, obviously he's your guy. You're going to play him as much as you can. But Kip Lewis has just been so good. <laughs> I felt like you got to maybe find a way to make that work. They did. They played them together, and Kip was good again. Had seven tackles, which was second most on the team. Robert Spears Jennings got more run after he played well in Bedlam. He played well again. And uh, Billy Bowman, too. I mean, that – Interception was a great play by Pearson. Obviously, Bowman was the one who got the hand in and deflected that. Great play by him uh, on that. They got some pass rush. Um, you know, they, they don't see any sacks. They didn't. I guess they didn't get a credit for a sack. Kanek had the one. But I it, guess was, it, was on, it was on a QB run. Yeah, so I guess they QB ruled on the tackle for the loss. So yeah, no so. sacks again. They were getting Three pressure. Kendall Dolby absolutely smoked Eric Green on that one where he basically threw it right in the ground. So they got pressure. It kind of felt like early in the season where, like, they were – getting close but couldn't get home, but the pressure still created havoc and things like that. So no sacks again, but they were getting uh, pressure on Garrett Green. Green didn't really hurt him with their legs. I know we were kind of talking about that. We were, I don't know worry is the right word, but, you know, it was something that hurt him last year. And Green, 10 carries for 31 yards. He didn't really hurt him. And uh, I didn't really realize it during the game. It's hard for me on the field. I don't really have great internet and stuff to know, like, kind of stats in my head. But I, I was kind of – he got back afterward, and he completed 10 of 27. Like that, mm-hmm. 
he, he just he didn't know what he was even looking at, basically. Yeah. So overall, I mean, statistically, obviously, really nice. And uh, no, no, they didn't really get hurt in any area consistently in this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Kanai struggled. Like they targeted Kanai like seven times. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, gave up three receptions, but it was like seventy yards, um, including that that deep one uh, that kind of came right before the goal line stand, I believe. Um, but yeah, you mentioned Stutzman and Kip Lewis starting together. I think, mm-hmm. you know, we, we talked about that possibility last week. I think the interesting thing about it was more so that Kip Lewis didn't start in place of Jaron Kanick. Stutzman started in place of Kip. Like Stutzman moved over to the Mike linebacker spot while Good point. Kip Lewis stayed at will. Um, that's just because, you know, Danny Stutzman's a little bit more comfortable at both of those positions. So they trusted Kip to start in Danny's spot, so to speak. Um, thought that was interesting. Jaron Kanick played his fewest snaps of the season. Um, we saw a little bit more of, uh, you know, Kobe McKenzie. Uh, Lewis Carter got in there some as well. Uh, so, so they rotated some guys. Um, but, yeah, third third week in a row without a sack. But, you know, again, they got pressure. Kendall Dolby com- coming off on the corner there uh, on third downs like three different times to apply pressure was just huge. Eight tackles for loss, though. They still lead the Big 12. They're top 10 nationally right. in tackles for loss. So even if they're not getting the sacks, they're getting in the backfield and getting stops behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and I, I talked to Ken Adobe after the game and kind of we, we were kind of talking about Kip Lewis and what he's what he's brought to the team. It, he kind of like affirmed what we all thought just talking to Kip Lewis in practice and stuff like that. He was like, he's like the most chill guy that I know. Like, he's just not like a fireball at all. Like, he doesn't, he, there's nothing. Lab, loud and lavish about him. He's like the complete opposite of Danny Stutzman when you when you think about it. But he has this switch that he turns on when he comes to the game, and mm-hmm. and that's what that's what Ken Adobe was talking about. That switch. I don't know where he gets that from. Is kind of what he was saying. Like he just looks like a whole different person. And like when he came in, he was a very you know raw prospect. He was a freshman, and he, he said he looked like a freshman. He was he was that type of player. But he's just grown so much since then that he's like. A, Ken Adobe's like, yeah, he he's there's something strange about it, but he I like what he's doing because as long as we get off the field, I'm I'm all happy for it. Also, Cody McKenzie got some run in this game again uh, as well. Had mm-hmm. uh, you think that dropped interception is going to keep him up at night a little bit? Hit him right <laughs> in the chest. <laughs> it was yeah, on fourth down, so you kind of live with it, but ugh. yeah, I I mentioned this to James after the game. It's like even if he had got the interception, like it looked like he was tripping, like he was he was going to fall down. Oh yeah, it didn't hurt him. Yeah. Yeah, they needed they needed that for the. Footing, though, he he could have returned that for a touchdown, but yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, needed for that, the stats, that, that was a, that was a gimme. Yeah, yeah, hit him um, but right. Speak, in speaking the of chat. interceptions, yeah, speaking of interceptions, Oklahoma does lead the country interceptions, tied with Liberty, tied seventeen yeah. of those. You know, it's the most that Oklahoma, Oklahoma's had through ten games. Um, I think since two thousand or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's um, what it was. Yeah, but I mean, they've got as many interceptions as they did all of last season. Still, at least three games to play. So, even though the defense has given up its share of you know big explosive plays, they've been getting after the ball and they've been ball hawks, um, been opportunistic, as I like to say. So, um, good to see them get a couple yeah. more of those there too. They're they're in position. They're in position for a lot of these, and I mean, it could have been even more. I mean, you know, Peyton Bowen dropped a couple early on in the season, so it's like. Man, you, you you think about where this defense is and where they were a couple of years ago. It's like a it's an entirely different thing. Obviously, it's entirely mm-hmm. different, but it's like man, so a breath a breath of fresh air, I guess you could say. Yeah, no, the, the continuing to force turnovers. I mean that that's going to just set you up in in great shape. And yeah, the goal line stand obviously was 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 awesome too. And hey, John Terry, huge. 
reaction. Yeah. Yes. Um, seeing Venable's reaction after the fact, you know, seeing like the broadcast angle and that guy, he, he loves him some, some goal line stands that, that gets him going more than anything. <laughs> Defensively. It's been good though. I mean, it continues just to, this kind of positive just trajectory. I mean, really, I mean, the last, I mean, Bedlam, obviously there were some problems in the Kansas game, certainly, but Bedlam and uh, going back to the tech, I mean, really all year, I mean, there's been moments, this defense isn't elite elite yet, but it's still clearly we're 10 games in. It's still clearly so much better than it was last year. You're seeing that forward progress um, and uh, a lot to be excited about the way they're recruiting on that side of the ball. A lot to be excited about. This defense brings back Danny Sudsman next year. It's going to be really good really good again the way they're recruiting yeah. a lot of these guys will be another year in the system all these guys we just mentioned i mean they're all they're all going to be back yep. um so there's a lot to be excited about moving forward and that's a good yeah. thing if they don't make the playoff or, or well they're not necessarily going to make the playoff but when you get to your bowl game you're going to have your guys playing it's not going to be many guys sitting out getting ready for the draft or anything like that so you're going to see a really good oklahoma team in the bowl game and that's that's the fun part about it with this group not really having a lot of seniors mm -hmm. Yeah, just on, uh, you know, the defensive trajectory that you're talking about, it's like, like Brent Venables put it after the game when we when he was asked about the goal line saying, he's like, yeah, I don't like, quote unquote, giving up all those yards, which, you know, they've given up their share of yards throughout the season. But the defense has been good situationally. I think they're like top 10 or top 15 and thir on third downs. Mentioned uh, the interceptions, um, you know, their top 10 and takeaways on the year. Uh, turnover margin's been good, you know, save for those last couple games. But the areas that you want the defense to really excel in, the ones that matter, that's where this defense has been stepping up. And that mm -hmm. is a, like you said, a positive step forward as Brent Venables tries to build this program how he wants it to be. Yeah. Yeah, and as we said, I mean, they have the identity now. They have an identity. They, they Their defense is not something that people or teams just go out there and be like, Oh, it's fourth down. Oh, we're on our side of the field. It doesn't matter. We'll go for it anyway and get it. It's it, that you just don't do that anymore. It's not something that you want to try against the Oklahoma defense. I mean, it's hard enough to get one yard in, in, at the goal line against Oklahoma's defense. So it's like you're yeah. not trying it anymore. For sure. Definitely. It's come a long way and it continues to impress each week, really. And a lot, a lot of guys make an impact. A lot of young guys make an impact, which is exciting mm -hmm. uh, moving forward. So as we look ahead now, BYU this weekend. Um, BYU is not very good. They're five and five. Uh, we mentioned it kind of in passing there earlier. They got just housed at home by Iowa State last weekend. They have a few really ugly losses. TCU absolutely hammered them as well. So it hasn't been a great first year in the Big 12 for Kalani Sataki and BYU. As far as the Big 12 race goes, Oklahoma got a lot of help on Saturday. Kansas lost at home to Texas Tech. And Oklahoma State got absolutely destroyed by UCF in Orlando. Now, the best way I can describe it is I don't think, I'm pretty sure Oklahoma does not control their own destiny still at this point. Um, they still mm -hmm. need some help. Yeah. But they got a lot of help on Saturday. You got a couple more weeks to get more help. The tiebreaker scenarios are crazy confusing. And it really, we'll have a much better idea after this weekend when you have just yeah. one game left and it's more like, okay, who actually is still left in the running? Cause technically there's still a lot of teams left still in the mix. But the important thing here is Oklahoma is very much alive in the big 12 race. If they win these next two weeks, they're going to have a shot. So how are you guys kind of, uh, I guess, looking at things spinning forward here? Oklahoma's got a shot here in the big 12. It's going to be fun last couple of weeks. Yeah. I, I was playing with that uh, kind of big 12. Yeah. 
simulator this Everybody's morning. Everybody's getting yeah acclimated with that thing right now. Yeah, <laughs> and I think even after I ran through some scenarios, I still like missed a few, and it's like. <laughs> or just like tripped over when I was doing it. Cause like, like you said, because you have two weeks of games, there's a lot of different permutations that can go through there, but Oklahoma's still alive. Um, I think their best bet is to hope that Iowa state beats Texas. Um, and then kind of see where things play out from there. But there's, mm-hmm. a, there's possibilities where you're going to get a Bedlam rematch. There's possibilities where you're going to get a red river rematch. I think there's even a possibility where it's Oklahoma, Iowa state or Oklahoma, K state. Um, mm-hmm. There's lots of things that can happen these next two weeks. We'll see how it plays out, but most importantly, is Oklahoma needs to take care of business. Like if they cannot afford another loss, yeah. if they lose another game, they're out of it. Um, two favorable matchups: BYU and then TCU. Um, Oklahoma's probably. I know. I know a lot of fans aren't happy about the you know 11 a.m. kickoff for BYU, but you know 10 a.m. locally out in Provo. But crazy. It's kind of helpful for Oklahoma because you have a short week with TCU on Black Friday after that. So getting back earlier is more helpful than, you know, having a night game or an afternoon kickoff there in Utah. Lots can happen. We'll know a lot more next week, but bottom line is Oklahoma needs to handle its business. And even if it doesn't make the, you know, even if it wins out and it doesn't make the big 12 title game, 10 win season is still very good from where this program was a year ago. Yes, they'll lament those two losses and the missed opportunities on the road if they don't make it to the championship game. But again, handle business and you're set for a really, really good season regardless. Yeah, and that's the crazy thing about how this all plays out because who they, you know, who they lost to is what hurts them the most. Like they they have the second best record in the Big Twelve. When you like not just between Big Twelve teams, but overall record, and that's why they're you know second in the top twenty five AP poll in, in the college football playoff poll. You know, they just – it's just the teams that they lost to. So now you have to worry about, like, who were the common opponents if they all end up tying? Who were the common opponents that they all played and where do they end up in that? Now, usually that settles itself out because you play everybody in the Big 12. But this season it's like you don't play everybody. So Oklahoma didn't get to play Kansas State. And so that, that makes a difference right. with, with how this is going to work. So that's why it's like yeah. this season alone is like the most confusing time we've, we've had in the Big 12 because it's just like – us trying to figure it out for the readers and things like that is it's a lot more it's a lot more hectic this time around yeah it can get down to like the number six tiebreaker if you have multiple teams there for one spot and it's just a mess and it's like let's <laughs> yeah. get through this weekend and then it'll be a lot easier to figure it out hopefully we're gonna, get a, we're gonna get a front end lights coin toss i think here in a minute we're gonna yes. get to that situation <laughs> yes nothing better encapsulates how ridiculous how insane the tiebreakers are than the fact that if it's oklahoma oklahoma state and kansas state three-way tie for one spot, even though Oklahoma State beat OU and they beat Kansas State, it, it doesn't – since OU and Kansas State didn't play, the head-to-head doesn't mean anything, and it would come down to another tiebreaker that I think would actually favor K-State, which is I think so. crazy, yeah. crazy. Oklahoma State has a right to be very upset if that's how, if that's how that goes. But it's going to be a mess last couple of weeks. Excited for it. Any early thoughts on this game, by the way? Like you mentioned, Tom, I mean, 10 a.m. local in Utah. That's crazy. That's crazy. They play 10 a.m. local now. They've done it before. They did it for USC Colorado earlier this year. Uh, they did the same thing to them out there in Boulder. They made them play at 10 a.m. local. 10 a.m. local, that, that is, I mean, get the breakfast going. I mean, that, that's that's as early, certainly the earliest game I'll have ever. I I, I asked, I was talking to Mike Cowick, obviously most OU fans know after the game, um, been around the OU program for a long time, sports information director for OU football, associate AD. I asked him, I was like, you've been around a long time. 10 a.m. local? You ever done 10 a.m. local? And he was like, no, 
we've never done 10 a.m. local before. It's uh, going to be different for everybody coming up this weekend, I think, uh, in Utah. But early thoughts on this game, obviously Oklahoma's going to be a big favorite. Yeah, I mean, I think they opened as like a 24-point favorite yeah. yesterday in most sports books. Um, and watching the way, A, Oklahoma looked on Saturday, and B, how bad BYU's defense looked, like that sounds about right. Um, 24 is still a lot to cover in a conference game for a spread. So we'll see, but I, I would expect Oklahoma to win this one pretty easily with just the way BYU's been playing um, and the fact that it's not a night game in that in that spot. Um, but I'm excited to get out to Provo. Um, that the the view from that press box in that stadium kind of just nestled in the mountains, cool. man. I'm, yeah, I'm hyped for that. It's a uh, kind of the road trip, you know, outside of you know Red River that I've had circled on my calendar all season for what I'm excited because I I like the state of Utah. I think it's a beautiful state. Uh, and yeah, just excited to get out there and uh, get an early game in. Going to be an early wake up call for us from Salt Lake City to get down get down there to Provo, oh, but uh, it shouldn't be too bad. Yeah, it's going to be a different scene, a lot different scene, and that's the thing. You you want to come out and I feel like I say this every time because OU's been the favorites in all these games. Like you want to come out and and, and win early, be, you get on top of them early because mm-hmm. this is the championship game for a lot of teams when they come when OU comes to town. This is the championship game for them. That's what Kendall Dolby also t- said to me. It's like, you saw what they did when they beat us. Like, the, the fans running on the field and breaking the goalposts. Like, it's like a big deal just to beat OU. So, you're going to get the best game from BYU. You're going to get a better game than you've seen this year. So, it's like, you got to get on them early and let them know that who you are and, and what, what it takes to be this good. You got to get on top of them early. So, that's that's the key once again. I mean, as long as Oklahoma doesn't beat themselves, they'll be just fine in this game. No penalties, no, no headaches, no just – Control what you can control and, and, and do your job, and you'll be fine. No, I mean, this is a season-saving spot for BYU, certainly. Like I said, it's been kind of a rough year, first year in the Big 12, but they're 5-5, five and five, so they need one more win to get to a bowl. If you go mm-hmm. beat OU at home and you storm the field, that's kind of your big, you know, all right, we're going to be fine, you know, yeah. kind of thing, moving, you know, into the future of the conference. So they're going to get their best shot. That's part of OU going on the road. That's part of why, you know, I love covering OU, one of the – best parts is that you always get to see the other team's best game day that they can possibly provide because everybody gets up when OU's in town. And so that'll be exciting. And I look forward to it uh, on Saturday as well. Hopefully it's not too cold in Utah. It looks like it's not going to be awful. It'll be pretty cold, but not awful. And uh, man, that's going to be an early, early wake up call. 10 a.m. kick on uh, on Saturday. All right. That's it for us. Obviously Thursday show. We'll be back. Colin Kennedy will also be on the show to hit some recruiting news. And we're going to pr- full preview of the Sooners and the Cougars on Saturday in Provo, Utah. So we don't look up for that one. Oklahoma.247sports.com. Tons of post game coming out of the weekend. And obviously we're now turning the page to the next one. Oklahoma BYU on Saturday. Lots there for you. Also, basketball season is off and running. Both the men's and women's teams off to great starts. We'll get into that a little more on the Thursday show as well. So be on the lookout for all that kinds of uh, great basketball coverage on the site as well and on the YouTube channel. That's it for now. We'll see you back here on Thursday for the next edition of the Sooners Illustrated Podcast for Tom Green and James D. Jackson. I'm Josh Calloway. We'll we'll, uh, see you then on Thursday. See you.